Alex Burrows. Alex, I'd like to right off the bat give you a gift. Okay, that'd be awesome. Now, I wonder what it could be. It is some Tina Turner, Simply the Best. That's a great song. I remember uh, one of my buddies that uh, used to play it all the time uh, when we win a big game and they uh, play the song Simply the Best. So it reminds me a lot of uh, good memories. Thank you very much. Now, what about ringtones and stuff? I had heard Kevin Bieksa had said that you have Celine Dion as your ringtone. Is that true? No, that's not true. I just like the quiet vibrate mode and uh, so it no, doesn't bother anyone. The vibrate mode. I love that. Yeah, same here. <laughs> Man, I love Nardwar. I could watch his videos for hours and hours. Anytime I'm depressed, I just, I'll watch a Nardwar video. And it's so cool that he actually did some videos with Canucks. I'd like to see him maybe get a couple of current Canucks. Yeah, no kidding. That'd be cool. I, I love Nardwar as well. I love Alex Burrows. I thought that was kind of a, a pretty cool way to, to start off the episode. The two, two good Vancouver boys. Well, you know, Burrows isn't a Vancouver boy, but he, he really is. We yeah, know that. absolutely. Um, yeah. Well... Let's start with uh, Alex Burrows, the big game tomorrow, and let's just get right into it. I wanted to ask you right off the bat, Doug, I mean, well, Slay the Dragon is is kind of the obvious one, but do you have any other Alex Burrows moments that really stand out for you? I do. Uh, I definitely do, but I don't know <laughs> if they're, like, appropriate. <laughs> um, but one of the moments that I really liked, which was a little... I guess over the top was, uh, I believe uh, it was right around the time uh, Mike Richards was having some issues in LA and there was some talk about him and his drug issues. And there was, I remember hearing something about Burroughs took his stick and put like what was ice on the edge of his stick I remember this. and went up to Richards and then sniffed it as if insinuating, Hey, you got a drug problem. <laughs> Very inappropriate, but, you know, uh, I guess during the battle of the on-ice game, you know, it all is fair in love and war. And there's also uh, the finger-biting incident as well Bergeron. in there. But also on the flip side, uh, for me, one thing that always stood out was uh, the Bourdon arrow. Yes. And how he did that. And, like, I remember the first time he did that, he, he's really emotional. But he was that sort of player as well. I mean, he was he's one of those guys, the epitome of a guy you wanted on your team, but other teams just freaking hate it. Yeah, he's one of those guys, and I think the current incarnation of the Canucks, we, I mean, Russell kind of gives us that, mm -hmm. but that is something that this team is lacking. You know, that that team had Kessler, who was a guy like that, Lapierre, who was a guy like Bieksa. that, Bieksa, Burroughs. Mm -hmm. You know, there was a lot of guys up and down the lineup that teams just hated to play against, and they would get under their skins. Yeah, the Canucks were not a liked team around that time at all, and justifiably so i guess when you, you mentioned those i mean but they were just revered here in in vancouver another thing with burroughs that always stands out to me the fact that he was undrafted and then went to the echl and not only did he go to the echl but he played like 130 games in the echl that's a long time for a guy to be trolling around there and then made his way up to the farm team in uh, i guess it was manitoba at the time yeah he was a moose for and, a few years yeah and then he got that call up and he was never sent back after that he got one call up to the big leagues and they never sent him down. Well, he was a guy who really, you know, made the most of the opportunities he was given. And, you know, it's definitely one of those kind of huge stories of the guy who just tried hard enough and got to the pinnacle, you know, of his career. It was an everyday NHLer, made it to Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final, scored the Slay the Dragon goal in Game 7 
uh, of it was overtime, right? Because yeah, Taze, yeah. T- you and I were at that we game. We were at that game. Taze tied the game late, which again at that time I'm sure most Canucks fans remember, but. You know, Chicago was our kryptonite. We couldn't yeah. get past them. And we lost three in a row. And and again, for them to score that late goal, it was just like, here we go again. And then, yeah, Burroughs picked up the puck along the boards and blasted over. It was Crawford or Niemi? Uh, I think it was Crawford. Yeah, it blasted over Craw- Crawford's shoulder. And I just remember hugging random guys yeah, yeah. on the opposite aisle of yeah. where our seats are. And, yeah, it was amazing. It was That was something else, man. I mean, we had a few more moments like that that year, but that one in particular, I don't think I've ever been in. I got goosebumps just talking about it, but that was that was one of the best moments I've ever had at a Canucks game. And we were at the, the game where Bieksa scored that weird goal against San Jose. Off the stanchion. And Burroughs also scored. Uh, like a lot of people... Well, a lot of hardcore Canucks fans probably remember this, but game two against Boston in overtime. He also scored that that wraparound goal early in overtime. Yeah, yeah, well, which gave us the 2 nothing lead. Mm-hmm. And again, I, I mean, I'm sure we all had the bottles of champagne ready to be popped. Yeah. And uh, we all know how that ended. Yeah, he's uh, he, it, it's amazing, though, for everything that he did. The most points he put up as a Canuck was 67. Yeah, I mean, I was looking up his stats uh, today, and I was actually really surprised. He had 35 goals one year. Yeah, that was the uh, 09-10 season. He had 35 goals, 67 points. But over the year as a Canuck, he played 820 games, put up 384 points, and that puts him 14th on our all-time goal list and 9th on our all-time goal list. And that's or, sorry, pretty- point list, I said. For the first one, 14th on points, 9th on goals. And it's pretty fitting considering his number's 14, yeah, that he's 14 on the all-time uh, points list. That's very true. I, I didn't even pick up on that. Yeah, nice 12 years. Well, you're the numbers guy, too. Yeah, huh? well, there you go. You got, you got me on that one. Uh, and, yeah, 12 years as a Canuck. And, yeah, he was just – he was one of those guys, like, that kind of feel-good story. And, you know, you you see it from time to time. But I don't know if there's a player in the NHL that I can think of that had the success he had. And obviously the Sedins were a huge part of that. But even before he got moved up to the Sedin line, him and Kessler actually had really good chemistry together. And they were kind of like a one-two punch. They were that line that, you know, everybody hated to play against. I believe, I could be wrong, because, yeah, I believe when Burroughs first got called up, it was at the year Anson Carter was on the team. And I think Carter put up 25 or 30 goals uh, with the Sedins. And, uh... Kessler and Burroughs were kind of riding uh, shotgun to the Sedins. And yeah, just they were make... second line. I can't remember, you, you right, all those wingers with the Sedins all kind of blurred together. Yeah. But Carter or King or Trent Clatt. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't know, man. It all kind of blurs together. But it's uh, it's, it's also uh, another thing with Burroughs. Right behind him right now is Alex Edler on the, the point list. So one point behind uh, Burroughs for the all-time uh, Canucks scoring. But there's a whole bunch of guys from that era. I mean, Kessler's obviously up in there, too, and, of course, the Twins. But, uh, I mean, yeah, like Burroughs, where he is in the Canucks scoring history, more than Greg Adams, more than Patrick Sundstrom, more than Cliff Ronning. And this is an undrafted guy who, like you said, was a workhorse, came in. Him and Kessler, I remember they were they were a fantastic second line there for a while uh, as well for the team. But he's, uh, one other memory with, with me with Burroughs is there was a couple games, I can't remember what year it was, but I was watching old Burroughs videos the other night, uh, sipping a whiskey there, and uh, I, he, I forgot he had a back-to-back hat tricks at, at one point oh. against uh, Columbus and Arizona. He had back-to-back games where he had hat tricks. And uh, I, just, I, I did remember that. It jogged the brain, but... That was a rarity as well. I think they were both at home as well. And the other thing, too, that, you know, just kind of wrap it, well, not wrap it up, but, you know, fawning over Burroughs. The other thing I really respect him is at the end there, 
he did have a no trade clause and he wanted he loved this team so much and the fan base so much that he's like yeah i'm willing to waive my no trade clause so we can help so you guys can improve your team mm-hmm. we ended up with uh dolan who unfortunately you know didn't work out or and is now playing back in europe and he's still in the Elsvenskan league which is a tiered so. lower than the actual swedish elite league yeah which is surprising. Um, That's where he played with Patterson as well, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, like, Timra. And I think he actually owns shares in the team. Maybe. Which is because, uh, yeah, I think they... I feel like every Swedish hockey player owns shares in a team over there. Well, I think Timra is one of those teams that's actually in trouble of, like, actually folding. Oh, yeah? I, I remember reading something about that. But just the fact that he was willing to do that and the fact that, you know, he he wanted to try to help for the future. Where a lot of guys, and again, it's their right, their contractual rights to say, no, I've got a no-trade clause. I'm not waiving it, a la Alex Edler. Mm-hmm. And again, people get angry about it. But yeah, that's his it. right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And Burroughs wasn't that guy. And yeah. I really respect him for that. And, you know, as a fan, you know, he you could tell he, he wanted more than anything to kind of give back. Yeah, and I really appreciate that. He went on, I think he played about 91 games with the Senators uh, over his career. And the trade tree has now led us to Linus Carlson, who's mm. a, you know, a long-shot prospect with us. But that's where the trade tree has left us. And I know I talked about it with you earlier today, but remembering when Burroughs came back as a Senator and just how emotional he got and the tribute the fans gave him. There is a, a huge love for this player. And I'm really excited to be going to the game tomorrow. Uh, excited that you're coming too. And excited yep. that uh, we got Braden joining us from PP1, who won the tickets that we were giving away. Yeah, we forgot to mention that last week. Uh, Braden uh, won the tickets from uh, PP1 Podcast, also writes for Canucks Way. Uh, yeah, so we get to meet Braden in person, which will be great. And uh, we'll... Uh, We'll probably have some uh, cheesy photos to put up on social media. Uh, you can follow me at Doug Venn. And I'm at Pete underscore Gas. Uh, also, our Twitter account is at Canucks Speak. We're not as active as we should be on there. We know. But we, we watched everyone that's posting on there. We get a lot of information from the Canuck community. So thanks for that. Uh, we also have a Spotify playlist that's worth mentioning. Absolutely. So, yeah, yeah, Pete and I created a Canuck Speakeasy Spotify playlist where all the outro tracks we use for the end of our episodes, after the episode is uploaded, we add that outro track to the playlist, and that's how we were giving away the tickets. The first guy or girl to shout us out on Twitter what the outro track was, was going to win a free ticket to the Burroughs game. Uh, Ted Wong won the first one, but unfortunately he couldn't make it due to scheduling issues. Um, and then we did it again, and Braden was the first guy to shout us out. And yeah, he's coming to the game with us tomorrow. Should be a great game. Yeah, it should. And we'll be doing more giveaways throughout the year, so definitely watch this space. Uh, but for now, let's kind of go to what's been happening. There's been a lot going on with the team right now. Uh, November is done. We survived. We survived with a below 500 record. Uh, five, seven, and three, but we are currently sitting in a playoff spot, so we're eighth in the conference. How do you look at November as a whole, Doug? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the the biggest thing that came out of November for me, and I f- definitely thought that this was going to end up happening, was the injuries. The injuries kind of piled up. There was a lot of games, you know, back-to-back games. I know Horvat made a comment last night about, you know, he thought it was pretty ridiculous that the NHL you know, had the scheduling back-to-back games at the end of their six-game road trip, you know, after being on the East Coast for five games, flying into Edmonton for one game, and then having to play back home in Vancouver last night. Uh, Again, we are recording this on Monday, December 2nd. 
So this will be before the Burroughs game, obviously, because we're talking about how stoked we are to watch it tomorrow. Yeah, we won't be able to record tomorrow at all. We're probably going to have a couple of pops at the game, and we'll be running off the Burroughs adrenaline. Um, but yeah, so the injuries, that was something that definitely I was worried about. I'm Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, we haven't had any major guys go down like a Pedersen or Besser or Horvath or anything like man. that. Don't yes. it. Sorry <laughs> about that. Um, but yeah, so the injuries did kind of pile up a little bit. And uh, I know you and I have both been relatively critical of Sutter, but with him out in the lot out of the lineup it does definitely look like a guy that does help this team win games and hold on to those you know leads and that was another thing that i noticed is that Canucks obviously the Pittsburgh game comes yeah. to mind we're giving up goals late in games and that's always a concern and it's been a concern for this group this era of Canucks probably for the last four three or four years i would say yeah and i will say as well with the injuries this time around it was the forward core that got depleted and i hope we're not jinxing this but the forwards Really, that bottom six took a huge hit. I will say on a plus side, I think a lot of the guys that were called up, uh, Tyler G, McEwen, uh, even Erickson in that last game against Edmonton scored a goal. Hey, like good on him. But I think the team did an admirable job with uh, the depth that they had. Previous years, when we would go that far down, we were calling up guys that probably shouldn't have been playing i think that the team did pretty well with it but you do see the difference between how the team is with the full core of players up front as opposed to when we have to start digging a little bit deeper which does show you that yes we can ice a good 12 forwards but you take a few of those pieces out and the overall depth quality of the team does take a hit but not like in previous years yeah i mean i think the other thing that ends up happening too is then green ends up relying on kind of his core guys even more so like horvat ends up having you know, his minutes are usually going up four to five minutes a game. He's out there taking every other face off. Uh, you know, like you said, the the D hasn't had too many injuries, but we were already concerned that Edler's minutes are too high on the team at currently. Um, Chatfields are called now. Chatfields are called. I think I, I did see something on Twitter, though, saying that it was actually more of a, uh, a cap issue that the Canucks needed to be compliant with the salary cap so they had to put Furlan on LTIR and because of that they had they have to call someone up I believe another roster spot and it, I don't know if Edler's gonna play tomorrow or not um I know he didn't play last night Fattenberg looked good I thought for his first game mm-hmm. considering we're what 28 games into the year and Fattenberg played his first game of the year yeah okay it's funny well not funny it's interesting it took that long, but we'd been saying in previous podcasts how this decor had been quite healthy, and they'd rolled out uh, pretty much the same units for the first, geez, I don't know, I'll be quarter of the season or so, really. It was uh, pretty much the same core. Yeah, we did also see on this road trip that the Canucks actually juggled the defensive pairings a bit, which mm-hmm. I kind of liked. I know they're, Edler and Myers got broken up for a few games. Um, a little bit more Troy Stetcher, which is nice. Absolutely. I, I, I'm I, still surprised Green doesn't use Stetcher a little uh, bit more. I know, man. I mean, he's one of those guys on the team I'm, I'm a big fan of. And this kind of is something I wanted to bring up this week was, was the Canucks decor and their offensive production. But they have, and I was going through the stats on this because I was talking early season how they got off to such a hot start, is through the last, what, what do we got here? It's through the last 23 games, the Canucks D has scored three goals, and they haven't scored a goal in their last seven games. Well, and Tyler Myers still is without a goal. Uh, I believe he's only got four assists in the 28 games this year. And Myers, one of the things that a lot of people were kind of 
hoping he would be was an offensive guy, right? Yeah. And I, again, I, and everyone's worried about his defensive play, but it was his offense that a lot of people were kind of stoked about. And we were like, you know what? He should definitely help the power play. And I think he has, for the most part, has helped the power play, even though the points aren't there. But yeah, his... You know, four points, four assists, actually, in 28 games is a little yeah. concerning. Yeah, it's certainly not uh, near where any of us thought he'd be. I, I will say Myers, he, he's had his gaffes, but no one on the team is immune to that. I think he's played better in his own end than I was expecting. But it is it is odd that he's only got four points. It's the same amount of points that Jordy Ben has. They're pretty much identical stat lines, those two guys. Yeah, and if you look at Myers throughout his career, he's actually been, I mean... He's sure, like a low year. mid thirties, right? Nobody, yeah, and he's always, you know, well, I guess, yeah. There's a few years, but he, you know, he's usually always around ten goals a year when he's played, you know, at least sixty games for the most part. I know last year, or not last year, he had nine. But the previous year, he only had six games or six goals, and he played the full eighty-two games mm-hmm. with Winnipeg. That was the two thousand seventeen two thousand eighteen season. Yeah, thirty-six points again, but yeah, he's, uh, it's a, uh, it's, it's. Just something that, because I, I, I remember talking about it in the first five games or so, the Canucks D put up like 14 points, and they're still getting a few helpers here and there, but they're not scoring. Even Quinn Hughes, his last goal was November 5th, so he hasn't scored since a uh, game against the Blues on the on the 5th. And I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm not knocking Quinn Hughes at all. That guy, I, I could just watch him break out of his own end all day. But it would be nice to see someone really kind of owning up and having that boomer on the point. Uh, they've got a bunch of great shots out there, but even on five-on-five, on five, you're not they're not bombing it in. Maybe that's Green's directive, and maybe that's the team's directive, but three goals in the last 23 games, that's uh, that's pretty low. Yeah, I, I, I think a lot of us, I think overall the D is much better than it was last year. I mean, oh yeah, no one can debate that. Oh, no, no doubt. But I do think the way that this year's defensive core was assembled, we did think, and we have... I'm sure if you looked up the stats, we're still ahead of last year. Just having Hughes on the team, we would have to be the, the defensive would have to have scored more points than they were last year at this point. Mm-hmm. But I still think we thought we'd be even a little higher. I, I mean, I would expect at, by this time, I, I would have thought Myers would be probably around 12 points at this point. You know, three times more than where he's at currently. Well, Quinn Hughes is pacing, and you were talking about this earlier today about his his point pacing. Right? Yeah, twenty three points in twenty seven games. Yeah, I mean there is a chance, uh, a very slight chance, but there is a chance that if Hughes, you know, stays healthy, he could break Patterson's con- rookie record for the Canucks. Well, I believe Patterson finished last year with sixty six or sixty seven points. Uh, it was something like that. It was. Where we got here? I can't find any of my stats right now. Uh, yeah, it was 66. Yeah, and I mean, Patterson, or sorry, Hughes is tracking to 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 be pretty close. And I mean, the fact that Hughes is going to be potentially a 60-point defenseman in his rookie year mm-hmm. is, I mean, that's unbelievable. Him and McCarr seem to be running away with the Calder Trophy right now. And that's something I said to you earlier today is if Hughes keeps this up, he should be a nominee for the Calder Trophy. I mean, I'm, I'm biased, of course, and there mm-hmm. are other good rookies out there, but he, right now he's certainly in the discussion. That would be three straight seasons that Canucks put up a Calder Trophy nominee. Yeah, I, and another guy that a lot of people are saying is maybe a dark horse. I know he hasn't. his last few games haven't been that great, but overall he's played really well as Thatcher Demko. He's another guy that people are saying, hey, if you look at his statistics, you know, he 
probably won't be the third nominee, but you know he'll probably be top five, maybe top six. All rookie team goalie. He's yep. got a shot at that for sure. So, Absolutely. Again, it's it's great to see some of these young guys coming along. I wanted to talk a bit more about a couple of other players uh, that are just worth mentioning right now in the forward core. Uh, and the first one is Josh Levo. And you know, I've always kind of been a big advocate for Josh Levo. I think he's a guy you can use everywhere in the lineup. He's been scoring a bit more. He scored against Edmonton the other night and won our friend a jersey. So, hey, yeah, congrats he did. on that, Mark, and happy birthday, Mark. That was a nice little present for, from the raffle there. But I think Josh Levo's played quite well. And him, Gaudet, and Vertanen playing together has been kind of an interesting line to watch as well. Yeah, I've really liked that line the last couple of nights. Uh, I, I, I think that they're hard on the puck. Uh, they get good scoring opportunities. Gaudet obviously has been... Really good this year. I believe he's got 11, goal, 11 points in 18 games Yeah, we, when I looked it up. We can't send him back, can we? I don't think so. I, I I can't see how they possibly can justify doing it. The kid's done everything to, to stay with the team, but who knows, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, Levo's, Levo's been really good these last few games. Uh, Pearson stepped up a bit as well. Yeah, four-point night, first of his career. First of his career. I mean, again. Pearson's sixth on the team in scoring. Kind yeah. of quietly done that. He's up to, he's got 17 and 28. Um, that's not... You know that's not worth not worth mentioning. Is that he's tied for fifth in goals as well with uh, Shotgun Jake? Actually, hmm. yeah, he. Uh, there was a while there where Pearson was kind of being sluggish. I don't think he had a. I think he had one goal in like twelve games or something like that. And then yeah, he's definitely seemed to be on a bit of a hot streak lately. Uh, but going back to Levo, yeah, I mean. <laughs> Again, you know, I love my conspiracies. Who knows? I know Levo was shipped out of Toronto because Babcock wouldn't play him. So maybe now that Babcock's been fired, you know, Levo's, you know, got some justification that, you know, he was totally hard done by, by Babcock or something stupid like that. But, uh, yeah, Levo's been really good. He He's definitely been one of those guys who, you know, we were able to get for pennies on the dollar. Not that, you know, he was worth, you know, a lot. But he was a guy that, you know, essentially a, a definitely – usable forward for the Canucks who definitely can put the odd goal in and you can play up and down your line and yeah man good cap hit useful player I I hope he's able to stick around with the team I hope they keep him just going back to Tanner Pearson quickly he had a 14 game stretch without a goal then he had a two goal game then he had one goal in seven games before uh, scoring the two against Edmonton the other night so he has been a bit streaky they kind of come in bunches and I think Pearson's always kind of been that way in his career he's always been a bit of a streaky player um but, yeah, I mean, lately he's he's been great. Uh, and he's the guy that, you know, a guy like Horvat needs. Because I know they put Miller down with Horvat. Um, I like that. I like that, too. In the beginning of the year, that was arguably our best line, right? Petey and Besser line hadn't really gotten going yet. Um, the other guy that I think he's only played one game since being called up was Goldobin. Mm-hmm. I didn't think he looked great. I don't think he looked bad. The only thing I will say with Goldobin uh, is that I noticed he back-checked more, and he was—he's—he seemed to be covering the ice more. I don't think he has it all there. I also didn't think Berchi had it all, though. Uh, so, um, but I, I thought—I know people are saying he's invisible, but I, I felt like he was back-checking harder. Yeah, and that's the thing is when you're a player that is generally known for your offensive ability— and your coach is always stressing that you need to be better in the defensive end, which I totally understand. You're not willing and you're probably more hesitant to take those offensive risks that you would normally take mm-hmm. and got you to the NHL because you're so worried about making a mistake and getting benched or getting, you know, scratched for the next game. So I understand that it's this weird thing 
that I think a lot of these offensive players, especially in junior, who have these great success in junior, but when they get to the NHL, I mean, I look at another Russian, uh, Nail Yakupov was yeah. another guy who would put up you know great numbers in junior, but when he got to the NHL, he was a defensive liability. Yeah, well, Reed Boucher is another guy, too. Um, we've got uh, Antoine Roussel coming back into the lineup as well, which creates more of a logjam. Tyler G is out now for a little bit, it sounds like, and he I thought he was playing pretty well. He's got a couple goals under his belt. But this continuing kind of cavalcade of players going through the, the roster right now, Roussel makes it interesting, and it's fitting that he should hopefully make his debut tomorrow night, the, the guy we were comparing to Alex Burroughs at yep. the Alex Burroughs game. But this is what's uh, going to be interesting to me is we've had uh, Roussel on uh, LTIR all year. We've now got Gaudet who's up with the team. This is going to put a squeeze on a few guys. And what, when Tyler Mott comes back and Furland and Sutter, like, what are you going to do with all these bodies? And I, I just think Gaudet's played too well to send down, but he's the only guy in a two-way deal. Well, McEwen's still up with the team, so they could send McEwen yeah. down. I don't I think McEwen would have to. still think you're going to be needing to make another. No, I don't think you do either, but I think yeah. you're still going to need to make move with one other player there. And is it Louis Erickson? Is it Tyler well, Mott? Uh, I mean, yeah. We don't want to get into that. We don't have enough time on this episode for that. Yeah, I mean, I guess they could send Goldobin down. I mean, what's the point of Gold? I mean, it would be a shame for what Goldobin was doing in Utica to get the call up here and only actually play the one game. Um, so that would be a shame. But overall, uh, I do like, I do like the fact that Russell's coming back. I definitely think he's going to help the team. Um, and then I think, yeah, when you get a guy like Furlan back as well, because Furlan, just before he got injured, he was just kind of starting to make an impact. And he was, I know some people at the beginning were like, oh yeah, like, I don't know. But I thought Furlan was just kind of starting to make an impact. He yeah. was kind of getting, you know. Getting his groove. Exactly. He was getting the speed of the game up. Uh, and yeah, unfortunately he got in that fight and went into concussion protocol. But, uh, yeah, man, uh, overall, I think November was a relatively... It was a tread water month, I felt like. You know, the, you just wanted the Canucks to be able to tread water and not, you know, fall too far behind. No. I would have I would have been nice to squeeze a point out last night against Edmonton, but we did get the win in Edmonton. Yeah, split the home and home. Um, and, yeah, it was, it's we're December 1st or December 2nd now, I guess. Uh, we're still in it. Just a couple more quick things before we get into our conversation with Sean Warren here. Um, Markstrom granted another leave. DiPietro gets called up. Yeah, I, I doubt we'll see DiPietro play any games. Um, but, yeah, I think it's good. I mean, you got to give DiPietro credit. Uh, what he went through last year in that start, it was, you know, it was... Yeah, that was bad. Very bad. Yeah. Um, and for a lot of players, that could totally ruin your career. Yeah. I, I, always, I always think of... It was the Olympics, and I believe it was Tommy Salo. The, uh, he, he let in that goal in the Olympics from like the other blue line from like I, it was against Canada. Yeah, and then because he was always a pretty good goalie for the Edmonton Oilers, and then when he came back, it just like all his confidence was shot. Dan Cloutier with the goal with yeah. Nick Lidstrom oh, against Detroit. Yeah, yeah, and you know so, and by all accounts, Di Pietro has been a battler in Utica, and a lot of people thought you know what he's probably going to end up in the ECHL because it'd be best for him to play as many games as possible. But yeah, he's got some goalie of the week honors. Down Absolutely, I, I think he's played. Well. He's played well enough so, where they can't send him down. Yeah, well, whether we see him or not, getting any action remains to be seen. But uh, Demko and Di Pietro, a lot of people think that's the future tandem for us. Um, also, just with a bit of the future, Doug, we haven't gotten your weekly uh, Oli Olevi watch yet. Yeah, I mean, again. It's, it's, it just, it boggles my mind what's going on. It's just, it's very interesting. 
Um, but there get, was... Get your tinfoil hat out here for sure, eh? <laughs> well, again, there was a comment from Mike Shulman. Uh, I believe it was yesterday. No, it looks like it was Saturday. Where he said, the Canucks Yulevi is back with the Comets and skating, but won't be available this week. Okay. Um, so, again... It's more positive. Yeah, I mean, if he is back in Utica, because initially it was reported that he was coming to Vancouver to see the team doctors, but then they never actually said what was wrong, just that, you know, he had a lower body injury not related to the knee he had surgery on last year. And now he's gone back to Utica, and apparently he's skating with the club, but he probably won't play this week. So, again, I take that as a really big positive. Hopefully, yeah. we'll see what happens. Hopefully, he... This isn't a long-term injury, and he can get back in the lineup for Utica. Sounds better than Doug's last weekly roundup of Yo Levy. We're starting to be trend, trending in the right direction. And that just leads into one more thing before we get into our conversation with Sean here. Um, and the last piece of info about Tyler Madden, what he's been doing. I know we've talked about him a bit uh, on, the, on the podcast. Uh, another guy to be really excited about, NCAA, second star of the week. The guy's got 16 goals in 22 games with Northeastern. His point-per-game production has almost doubled from what it was last year. Uh, he's averaging over 1.3 points a game. Uh, last season, he put up 12 goals in all season. That was 38 games. So he's just killing it again. We've got this real connection with Northeastern. We've also got Aiden McDonough over there playing on a line with him. Another Canucks pick, seventh rounder. And he's got 10 points in 13 games. Yeah, I don't know who Judd Brackett knows in the system over there, but, uh, you know, these always seem like... They're always kind of alluded that these are Judd Brackett picks, uh, Adam Gaudet being the other Northeastern guy. Uh, yeah, I mean, as a Canucks fan, there's a long way to go for Madden being an impact NHL player, but you got to like what you see, and you got to love the value of, you know, being able to get a guy like Madden in the third round. How often do we always... And have we always clamored as Canuck fans? When do we get that guy? Yeah. When are we going to get that guy? And you know, a mid to late round pick that Yannick we've Hansen. had a few. Yannick Hansen, Kevin Bieksa, Alex Edler, I believe was a third round pick. I don't think he was a second round pick. I think he was a later one. Yeah, yeah I, I knew they jumped up to get him because they were scared Detroit was going to get pick him. But you know, more often than not. You're always, because again, I know you love doing this, and I know I love doing this, where we'll go on Wiki and we'll go back to, let's check out the 2013 NHL draft. Yeah, Yeah, and just see who's in there and do a redraft. You're like, holy cow, how did Ryan O'Reilly go in the second, almost, you know, the end of the second second round? Yeah, Yeah, Patrice Bergeron, you know, another guy, right? Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, Tyler Madden could be that guy. He's he's looking really good. He's got NHL blood in his veins from his dad, so... uh, Here's hoping. And he's a much different player than his dad as well. Very much so. His dad was uh, very much the checking center on a checking team in a checking era with the New Jersey Devils. I feel (laughs) like we talked enough about the Devils in previous ones. So, anyways, let's get uh, Sean Warren in here and let's talk a little more Canucks. Let's do it. All right, folks, joining us for our guest this week. We have Sean Warren coming in from the Area 51 podcast, also a writer for the Canuck Way and the Puck Authority. Sean, thanks for joining us today. How are you doing, man? Good, good. It was a busy day today, but uh, glad I was able to, to sneak home and, and catch you guys. Yeah, we, we appreciate it. Thanks for not getting a, a speeding ticket over there in sunny Kamloops. <laughs> oh, I, I'm thankful too on that one. <laughs> Um, we've been talking a lot this episode about Alex Burroughs, and I wanted to sh- uh, swing it over to you there and just kind of 
get any thoughts or any standout Alex Burroughs moments from you? Uh, I mean, he's just such a, a unique case, right? I mean, he coming up through the ECHL into the AHL, uh, being an undrafted player, arguably one of the best, uh, if not the best, free agent signing that the Canucks have ever made, um, especially being kind of in the situation that he was. Uh, and the impact that he had. Uh, pretty special, unique player. I mean, him and I remember him and Kessler coming up kind of around the same time there and both having just such a huge chip on their shoulders, uh, being so nasty to play against. Uh, it was hard not to immediately love a player that wore his heart on his sleeve and gave everything that he had out on the ice every single shift like Alex did. Yeah, and even um, if it did cross the line sometimes, you know, <laughs> all's, all's fair in love and war. That's right, yeah. I mean, he, he would do kind of what you would want to do, what you envision yourself doing, I think, in that situation, right? Like, the emotions get the best of you, and sometimes you cross the line, sometimes you don't. Uh, he had this... When he was playing on, he walked that line really tight, um, but there was obviously times like the finger-biting incident and, and others... <laughs> where he, he definitely crossed the line, and, and there was no looking back at that point. Yeah, he was loved in this fan base and hated everywhere else except for maybe in Ottawa for, for the 90 or so games that he played over there. But uh, I think uh, also, he's is there a more memorable goal than the slaying the dragon? Would you say that's the most memorable goal in Canucks history, or would the Burray goal against Calgary be right up there? What would you say? It's close, you know. I... Unfortunately for me, the Beret one is a little bit before my time. I was alive, but pretty young. Um, so I, I don't have really any recollection of the current, like watching it live and being just awestruck by it. Um, for me, like nothing gives me chills more than thinking about the Slay the Dragon goal and watching them just pile over the benches and, uh, and just going to tackle them out there. It was, it was such a huge relief. For Connect Nation, I think uh, what that goal meant was way bigger than the goal itself, and uh, I mean, it's pretty hard to hard to beat that impact. And I don't think, if I'm going to be fair here, that Burrys carried the same weight because it wasn't like they ran into Calgary over and over and over again, couldn't get through them so much as it was with Chicago. Yeah, you bring up a great point, Sean, about how at that time Chicago was our arch nemesis, and. Pete and I were actually at that game, game seven. No and way. Yeah, it was it was amazing, man. And one of the things was like, I think it was Jonathan Taze. It was either Taze or Sharp. No, I think it was Taze because Luongo made that amazing save on Sharp just before yeah. Burrow scored the goal. And I remember Pete and I just looked at each other and we're like, man, here we go again. Yeah, especially after yeah, losing the three yeah. in a row. Oh, well, I mean, everybody kind of had this sense of like deja vu, right? Like, I remember just sitting on the edge of my seat and I think I had both hands so covering my face. Like, I kind of, could hardly look, right? You were, the, the anticipation was killing you. Uh, you could cut the tension with a knife. It was, it was unbearable. And then Burroughs gave us that relief. Yeah, that was, that was something else. We almost, we almost expect the worst as Canucks fans a lot of the time, don't we? And this was just one of those times where it actually worked out. We took the hard way to get there, but Alex Burroughs saved us in the end. Well, and that's kind of unfortunately what we've become accustomed to, right, is is that we get 
pretty nice things and it just doesn't really work out, right? It, somehow, some way, we get our heart broken, right? And so I think we've kind of acclimated to that um, and gotten a little bit calloused to, to having such, honestly, incredible teams. Like through the 2000s, we were extremely spoiled uh, up until obviously 2012. Uh, but up until then, like you think about the West Coast Express team, um, with the Deans taking over, like all of that, we were so spoiled with such fantastic teams to watch, but they just couldn't get over the hump. And we came oh so close and just missed. And that's, it's unfortunate, but at least we got a great show along the road. I do feel though the current incarnation of this team, we have that element of skill that we haven't had in a while. I know we've had a few dark years in there, but with this young core that is currently on the ice and the kids that are behind them, do you feel that we're kind of that next West Coast Express, that next Sedina era, that we're getting close to that next team now? Well, it does feel kind of like a hybrid, right? Like, I don't know if you guys get the same sense as, as me on this, but like, you get guys like Besser and Pedersen, and it gives you a little bit of the Dean vibes uh, just in their skill set, having such such immense talent and skill on the top line. Then you have guys like Miller and Horvat who, depending on the game, kind of give you a little bit of Bertuzzi vibes, right? Like, So you end up having kind of this hybrid feeling, and it's kind of nostalgic, actually, if you think about it like that. But um, it does feel special. It feels different. Um, I think it's been a really long haul, but now nowadays you're able to build teams like this. Um, before it wasn't so much that you could, right? Like it would take you a really long time and you'd have to be really lucky in the draft because there just wasn't the, the quantity of high quality prospects that there are today. I mean, now we're watching picks like Goddad and Madden and, and guys like that start to pan out. And uh, that was really hard to do, like, even five, ten years ago, right? So it's kind of a different era, and it's actually a really good time for the Canucks to have gone through what they did. And, it, I mean, if you really look at the Canucks roster, they're not super far away from, from competing, which is really exciting. Yeah, I think one of the things that actually has almost become more important than actually the players you draft is developing those players. And I look at the Oilers for years were getting all this high-end talent, but they weren't developing them properly. And I know Detroit for years was always that team that would put guys in the minors Mm -hmm. and slowly bring them along. I mean, I look at Anthony Mantha, who seems like he was drafted a decade ago, (laughs) and he's finally, you know a first-line player on Detroit. And I definitely think player development in the last 10 years has definitely changed, and teams are a lot smarter with the way they're developing their players. And I think that's something that the Canucks have done relatively well with this current group of uh, forwards and defensemen we have. Well, yeah, I think you nailed it right there. Is, is you see some of the teams that have been able to give their prospects time, and Edmonton was not one of those teams, right? Like, they had... They were so thin up front that their prospects would legitimately make the team out of camp, but that wasn't really a reflection on them being ready so much as their team just being so poor. And, I mean, I think you can even make a, a little bit of a case for that in New Jersey right now, right? They're, they're a mess. Like, 
And I mean, for the offside, for example, if you look at Boston and Tampa, uh, the old Detroit team, uh, Vancouver is now kind of right in that wheelhouse now. So it's kind of nice to be able to follow a model that gives you not just one or two or three years of contention window, but but maybe a decade. Look at San Jose as another example. Yeah, and Vancouver's never been at least, well, really ever, I could say, a, a draft first team. It, it always seems that we we haven't had great scouting in the at the top of the draft. We've acquired players through free agency and trades, but this Canucks team has a lot of guys drafted by the Canucks, and not only that, it's the skill guys that are drafted by the Canucks. And uh, we've talked about this in previous episodes as well, as when the Canucks took Pedersen, it wasn't the, the pick that a lot of guys wanted. We talked the last episode with even when Quinn Hughes went, a lot of people were kind of thinking that Evan Bouchard or Noah Dobson might be the guy that would come along. But the Canucks kind of st- stuck with their guns and have all of a sudden drafted pretty much all of their skill talent, with, with the obvious exception right now being J.T. Miller. Yeah, I mean, you look back at like the West Coast Express, those guys were all acquired uh, through trade. Uh, the Sedins were drafted, but lots of trades to acquire those draft picks, and then um, ever since then, really there wasn't, like you said, anybody that was specifically drafted, maybe Kessler, right, if he was drafted. But until this kind of nucleus starting with Horvat, uh, we, for the most part, drafted depth um, and tried to bring them up, and usually it failed. Okay, we ended up with a lot of Nicholas Jensen's and and uh, Brennan Gonses and, and guys like that uh, that were our picks for that time. Uh, I think about Luke Bourdon, he would have been such a huge impact player. Uh, unfortunately, uh, we never got to see that through um, due to him passing. But for the most part, you're, you're, you're dead on. We didn't really ever draft core nucleus types of players. One of the articles that you wrote for Canucks Way actually kind of ties in nicely with, with the drafting. Is You can't always get everything you need in the draft. And sometimes you need to find complementary players. And one thing that... We've talked a lot about, and a lot of Canucks fans have talked about for the last few seasons, is who's playing with Bo Horvat and who's going to create that second line for the Canucks. We're starting to see JT Miller play on there, but there still seems to be a bit of a need for another top six or top nine, however you want to look at it forward. And you touched on a few players in your article. Is there anyone that either that you mentioned then or you haven't mentioned yet that you really think would be a good fit to bring into the Canucks organization right now through trade? Well, one of the things, like, with my article that I wanted to, uh, kind of my criteria for it was, are they reasonably attainable? Like, would their team be interested in moving them? Uh, would the cost be something that the Canucks may be able to do, right? I mean, not whether they would want to do it, but would they be able to? And would it fill a need or before that, and I so I and dropped it down to about five. Obviously, the last one being Kuliarv, that that's off the table. So I'll add one more uh, that I was debating with Danton Heinen. I uh, kind of brought to my attention by a fellow Canuck Wade writer there, um, as somebody that's kind of being a little bit chased of the town in Boston, but he's young, he's a good playmaker, and. Uh, 
I mean, reasonable contracts, something that can be very palatable for the Canucks to add. Um, my personal favorite is probably Jason Zucker, which, I mean, there's plenty of rumors about Jason Zucker and how high the cost was and, and all of that. But uh, just for like a perennial 20 goal score, I, I don't think you can really off too much at the idea of adding somebody like that. Uh, look at what J.T. Miller has uh, brought in and infused into the lineup for the Canucks. Somebody so versatile, and I think Jason Zucker would do something very similar. Yeah, I know Botchford, um, <clears throat> rest in peace, Jason, um, but I know Botchford was actually a big Jason Zucker fan, and he was uh, mm-hmm. kind of touting the fact that, you know, if you look at his statistics analytically, he'd be a great fit for the Canucks. Yeah, absolutely. Another guy. I, I totally agree. Another guy that I actually think could be a really good addition to the Canucks, and a guy that you didn't mention, but I, again, I think you know, and I like Danton Heinen. I think that was another uh, solid kind of deep pick that wouldn't cost the Canucks too much to acquire. But another guy who I think could be available is Kyle Palmieri. That would be awesome. Yeah, I'm a big Kyle Palmieri fan. I. And with New Jersey being a low team, right, and that's kind of one of the things that I opened my article with was uh, identifying teams that at this point had American Thanksgiving. Uh, they're kind of out of the picture, and, and they need to decide, are we going to try to push and get in somehow, or are we going to try to collect assets for uh, what we have, right? And I think Kyle Palmieri would be a fantastic addition. Yeah, to me, he's got a lot of the same traits as JT Miller. You know, he's a kind of heavier player to play against. He's great down low. He'd be great on the first or second unit power play. And you could even move Miller to the center and then put uh, Paul Mary on the wing with Horvat or whatever. If if we do have a full, fully healthy lineup and Sutter's back and you got Sutter as your third line uh, center. But yeah, for me, a Paul Mary is a guy that I like. Taylor Hall is great, but I do think the cost, even though he is UFA at the end of the year, would be pretty astronomical for the Canucks. And they can't trade this year or next year's first-round pick until the end of the year where they figure out where that pick goes to Tampa this year or next year. Yeah, and I mean, New Jersey will absolutely want a first-round pick back. So, like you kind of mentioned, it will be more than likely way out of their price range too rich for their blood, but um, yeah, I tried to give a little bit of a range as far as something really uh, kind of a cheaper option, and then just slowly increase the price up to Taylor Hall. Um, Taylor Hall, I agree. Like As much as he would be such a fantastic addition to literally any team in the NHL, he's just so... There's so much risk there, right? Like, you, you... unrestricted free agent at the end of the season. Uh, will he sign an extension? I think that would be a huge part of the trade. And then what would that cost? We have Pedersen and Hughes coming up uh, that will need new contracts, and those can be pretty big, especially the way they're playing. We could be looking at potentially $20 million between the two of them. Um, yeah, I mean, it, the costs start adding up, and it's not just in salary. So it ends up being a really risky move. Doug's also not a big uh, Taylor Hall fan. Isn't that right, Doug? (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> Here's the thing is like I I was always say again overhaul during that uh draft year. I don't know what it is, man. I've always kind of joked to Pete that like I don't like Taylor Hall because he's a mouth breather. And I feel like early in his career when he was always getting popped or he was always getting hurt, it's because he was always playing with his mouth open. Just a stupid yeah. thing. But uh, yeah, just one of those things for me. I don't know what it is, but yeah. I am I am with you guys, though. I, I don't think Taylor Hall is the right fit. It would be really nice, but the, the cost that you'd have to keep him for and, and the assets that you'd have to give up, I, I don't think it really makes a lot of sense. Just before we kind of move on to some more current Canuck players, uh, I just wanted to touch on Tyler Toffoli, who's another guy in your article. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, played with Tanner Pearson, who we're going we're gonna to talk about as well here. But what do you think of Toffoli joining in there and kind of getting two-thirds of that 70s line going again? Well, that was kind of the idea, right, was, was reuniting a little bit more of that 70s line, but adding Bohorvat in the middle. And I think the built-in chemistry that, uh, Pearson and Foley have, plus the Pearson and Horvat chemistry. Um, I think they all play very similar heavy style, and it would be a give you very two like two very different looks in your one and two line. Uh, you have Pedersen and Besser that work, work the puck laterally, laterally very well, and will finesse the puck. Then you would have this kind of crash line with so much skill that would have such a strong and quick. Uh, north-south game, and I think uh, as a team, as like an opposing team coming into Vancouver to play that, that'd be a nightmare for matchups. Well, how have you thought uh, Tanner Pearson has played with the Canucks so far? He's kind of been a little bit streaky. We were talking about him earlier, but where do you think uh, Pearson's game is going right now? I like Pearson's game, and I, I know it has been a little bit streaky at times, but he he doesn't change his game whether he's on or off, right? Like, you know how certain players, when they're really streaky, when they're on, you can't help but notice them, and it just seems like every time the puck touches them, it's in the net. And then when they're off, it's like they're they vanished. You don't even really notice them out there. Pearson, you notice all the time. Every time he's on the ice, he's a hard forward checker. And he actually he leads the team in a lot of different uh, analytics that... Uh, to me, suggested that he was going to break out at some point here soon. Uh, I actually have an article dropping tomorrow uh, talking about how his, his breakout on Saturday night shouldn't have been unexpected. Uh, so, uh, And then as well, that there's another Canucks player uh, that is kind of in a similar position, actually. And would that be Josh Leva? Absolutely, it would be Josh. Uh, you know, welcome, welcome to the Josh Levo fan club. We got at least a couple <laughs> of them here. <laughs> oh, I love Josh Levo. I mean, he's he's got so many of the same habits. He's hard to play against on the boards. Uh, great uh, puck possession player. Um, takes a lot of shots. He's got a good shot. Um, and sometimes having a good shot doesn't always equate to goals, but it can equate to rebound, which generally do the goals, but uh, lots of good habits coming from both of players. And you talk about analytics. Josh Levo's analytics are, are fantastic, especially if you look at his scoring chances and shots for and shots against per 60. He is sometimes just off the radar compared to other players playing on the team, or just either on a game-by-game basis or just over the season. But you get into Levo's analytics, he does a lot of things really well that 
I, I hope Canucks fans pick up on because for the value that we have him and you can move him right up and down the four lines, he's a much more serviceable Marcus Granlin type player. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he's leading the team uh, in most scoring chances outside of the shootout. Uh, second place is Tanner Pearson, uh, which is one of the, the analytics that I highlight in my article. But, uh, I mean, as far as like individual expected goals, uh, shots generated, uh, scoring chances generated, like Josh Levo is right near the top, if not the top in, in a lot of those categories for the Canucks. What's your take on Louis Erickson? Oh, how much time you got? <laughs> yeah, well, I know, man. We we kind of skirted we kind of skirted around it a little bit earlier, um, but I noticed that you had a, a pretty compassionate tweet out there to him, and I, I've seen a couple other people doing it. And, and Erickson, in my opinion, he's kind of quietly gone along with with whatever is going on. But there's going to be a bit of a push for roster spots here coming up. And he scored against Edmonton the other night, and he looked pretty good that game. But what, what's, what's going to happen with Erickson, do you think, here as the season goes on? Well, I think after this season, his contract becomes a little bit more palatable for a team to take on um, because it just his, his actual money paid in his contract drops significantly. His cap hits still thick, so maybe a team like Ottawa that like to spend as little as possible but still hit the cap floor might be interested. But um, he is. He's getting pushed out. Uh, you, It's hard, right? You, like, you kind of feel for the guy. Uh, he gets picked on constantly in this market. And even when he has a good game, he's got people after him, right? Like, there's really nothing aside from all of a sudden refinding and refiguring himself out and becoming a 20-30 goal scorer again. That's going to get people off his back about his contract. There's nothing really he can do about it. So uh, I think he's handled himself fairly well. Um, he doesn't come out into the media too much. One of the things that I liked, and and this is in the post that uh, you mentioned on Twitter there, was that in that interview, it actually looked like he kind of came to life a little bit, right? Like you can see that he's kind of excited about what happened. He's excited about the questions. And it looked like a weight had been kind of lifted off of him, at least temporarily. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I liked that. I thought that was pretty cool to see, I don't know, the skeleton that we've known of Louis Erickson all of a sudden show some light. Yeah. Well, and again, you know, he's a professional, right? So I think he has pride just like anybody would. And it looks like the game has kind of passed him by. And you know, he, it's not his fault that he was signed to this contract. And for all the Jim Benning haters out there, and again, I'm not, I'm not saying I've loved everything Jim Benning's ever done as his tenure as GM for the Canucks. But if you look at that free agent class, there are so many bad contracts. Lucic, Ladd, the list goes on. I think, um, uh, what's his name? Um, Bacchus and Oposo. Oposo, yes. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, like, I, you kind of feel sorry for the guy. I mean, he got, at the time, what was fair market value for him. He was coming off a 30-goal year with Boston, and everyone thought, oh, this will be perfect. He could slot into with the Sedins. They had some chemistry in the Olympics back in the day, and, yeah, I mean, it's just tough. You see this happen to a lot of players where almost in the blink of an eye, the game has passed them by. Yeah, 
Well, and you do. You feel bad for him. I mean, going back to that that summer, I mean, I didn't want any of those guys. No, I'm with you. <laughs> to be honest, I didn't want Louis. And when everybody was saying, like, oh, no, you're crazy. Like, he's a 30-goal scorer. And I was like, yeah, in one season, and we're going to sign him for six or seven. And the Sabines have two more years left, and that's who we got him for. So, like, in two years, he's off the lead. Like, what, what happens then? And now here we are. We're, what, four years? This is our fourth season in yeah. for the Riviera. So, I mean, it hasn't been pretty from the get-go, unfortunately. I mean, we didn't even get the two good years they were hoping for out of the six. Um, and, yeah, it's hard to see. I mean, at least it's not Lucic. We almost ended up with Lucic. Um, that, could, that would have been even worse. Although I wouldn't mind James Neal on the team right now. Well, that's just it. Could yeah. we have swung that deal? <laughs> Woulda, coulda, shoulda. Yeah, I think it also led a bit to the fanfare kind of surrounding Tyler Myers this year. And as you remember as well, I'm sure before Myers signed, the thoughts were that this was going to be a 7 by 7 deal or something. You know, Canucks Twitter was going into an outrage. I'm still convinced that someone in the Canucks was planting all these fake rumors out there. So when the deal actually came out, uh, Canucks fans were like, oh, this is much more palatable than a 7 and 7. But the Erickson effect yeah. does kind of have that lingering thought now with uh, big name free agency in Vancouver. And uh, I think with Tyler Myers coming over, that was still very much felt in this market. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it was scary. I, I remember not, not really wanting Myers to begin with. I was more on the, you know what, if we're going to overpay and get a great defenseman, go get Eric Carlson, you know, mm-hmm. like really go out and do it. But Tyler Myers has been good. And I mean, I think I'm absolutely with you. I think somebody in the Canucks is planting fake rumors and then eventually it becomes lighter and lighter and then everybody's like, okay, I'm okay with this because it could have been so much worse. Yeah, I think someone, I think the Canucks uh, social media and marketing department has done a good job this year. Uh, not just, with, who knows if they are doing stuff like that, but just in general, kind of rebranding the team and uh, re kind of painting a new face for the organization. It goes well with their 50th season, it goes well with this youth movement as well. But I think uh, overall, the team has done a, a fairly good job of rebranding themselves a little bit this year. I agree. Like, I, I actually. Uh, in the summer, I wrote an art, uh, pair of articles, kind of a series of five different things that the Canucks can do off the ice, and then five different things that the Canucks can do on the ice or in the arena to better uh, their connection with fans. And a lot of those things have been checked off. I've, I went back and looked through it, and I was really impressed to see just how much actually ended up happening and how much the Canucks have been really hands-on in trying to recreate their image and uh, kind of reinvigorate the fan base that honestly been lulled asleep by Louis Desjardins and uh, some really dark years in Vancouver. Has there been any one thing in particular that you've really enjoyed them seeing that they've done? Uh, well, there's social media that you touched on. Um, I thought that was really important. Uh, you got to connect with your fans outside the arena as much as in. Um, their in-game entertainment is top-notch. Like their video uh, intro is spectacular. Uh, they didn't change the goal song as <laughs> as I had put in there, and then as it kind of became the big thing uh, with Holiday. Um, but they're kind of creating their own image, and I, I have to respect that. Sometimes things are 
not um, meant to be brought back, and maybe holiday isn't one of those things. But um, yeah, I think it'd be a cool nod that you know not everybody's nostalgic. So yeah, I've never been the biggest fan of that goal song personally. Um, I've got some maybe harsh takes on it. However, I will say this: I do think it's a new era. And I think you kind of want this era to have its own identity. And this year being the 50th year anniversary, although some people are saying, no, it's not. Actually, next year is because Buffalo was celebrating their 50 year anniversary. The Canucks kind of were forced to do it this year as well. And I think the Canucks are just trying to like go back to all the eras and call back on all of them and say, remember this part of our history. Remember this part of our history and create our own identity or this team in this era of Canucks and Canucks fans own identity. Which I think is really great. Well, there's a lot of things that are unique to a Canucks, right? Like, we've got wacky uniforms that vary in color ways. <laughs> uh, we've got all sorts of, like, funny characters that we've had on our team. Um, we've got a, quite a past, actually, and that's not, not every team has that. Even teams like Buffalo that have been around as long as we have. Um, I mean, we've got more success than Buffalo. Really, I mean, we've been to three Stanley Cup finals. They've been to one. Uh, they might have beat us on the first overall pick ratio, but I would take the Stanley Cup's runs over that any day. And I mean, we've got a really unique um, history and culture around the team. It's cool that they're kind of embracing those things instead of trying to, you know, hide the skates or hide different aspects of our past. We're just kind of embracing them and, and recognizing that that's Part of what makes us that's Yeah, uh, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, so just wrapping up here, Sean. Uh, again, thanks for joining us, Pete, and I really appreciate having you on the show. Um, it's a question that Pete and I are asking a lot of our guests throughout the course of the year. Do you see this team as a playoff team? Ooh, I'm going to be optimistic. I'm going to say yes. Uh, if they sneak in, um, they were in the picture in American Thanksgiving, and that's kind of the first milestone that you need to hit. Uh, they do have a couple really hard road swings coming up, so I think December, at the end of December, we'll truly know where this team's at. Uh, I don't see it being uh, a St. Louis Blues turnaround. Uh, I think a lot of people, because of, of what the Blues did, uh, they think that that could happen again, but we have to understand and remember the circumstances around that. That team was loaded and meant to make a run in the summer, and then they just couldn't quite figure themselves out until January. But um, for the Canucks, I think they're close. A um, couple good key pieces away from um, being somebody that can actually make noise in the playoffs. I think they'll show up to the party, but they won't make a lot of noise. I love, I love the diplomatic answer. We always get diplomatic answers to that one because I think we all feel the same way. We're close. We'd like to see it. But with some of these kind of kids coming in and the horizon, we, we can be, preach a little more patience with this organization. Uh, Sean, thanks again for joining us. You can follow all of Sean's content online at Twitter, uh, SeanYeWest234. I love that, by the way. That's Sean, S-E-A-N-Y-E. West 234. Lots of great content out there. Also find them at the Canuck Way and Puck Authority and of course Area 51 podcast as well. Sean, thanks for joining us and hopefully we'll talk to you again soon, man. Thanks, Pete. Thanks, Pete.
Sounds great. Thanks for having me, guys. Cheers. Thanks. Anytime. All right, Freeport time, and Pete here, I'm going to go first. And I'm going to talk about something that I'm sure all of you guys out there, guys and girls, are already well aware of, and that's just how awesome is Kevin Bieksa. I mean, he's just fitting this mold on the Hockey Night Canada panel so well. He's funny, he's smart, he comes across well, he gets the laughs. I mean, we've loved Bieksa in this market for years. I don't think a lot of other people just realize how awesome this guy is. I want more Kevin Bieksa out there. I want to see him all the time. I want him on all the panels. This guy is going to be a mainstay on Hockey Night, I think. I think it's not just Canucks fans are giving him the love. I think a lot of the country's giving him the love. And if you're not giving him the love, there's something wrong with you. Yeah, I mean, his charisma is just through the roof, especially when there's a camera in front of him. And he's got great insight in the game, like most of these former players do. And I couldn't agree with you more, Pete. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, I wanted to talk about fantasy football, which I tend to talk to a lot about in this segment. Um, and yeah, our league of 10 people, I believe this is year seven of the league. Uh, the playoffs are set. Uh, Pete's probably going to beat me this week, but I still have a chance to finish first in the league. And it looks like uh, myself and Pete might have a crash course collision to the finals. Uh, we'll see. Uh, I believe with the win this week, Pete, you should probably climb. You should still be in second. Should secure no worse than second place. Yeah. Yeah. And right now I'm still in first, but uh, fantasy football, man, it's so much fun. You end up caring about games you would never normally care about. And we've been doing this for, like I said, I believe this is our seventh year. We have, like, an actual championship belt, yeah, which yeah. is amazing. Yeah, you can go all stone cold with that. Absolutely. I actually like the Hulk Hogan, the Hollywood Hulk Hogan. <laughs> I might spray paint him, you know, with NWO this year or something stupid like that. But anyways, yeah, uh, fantasy football, man, so much fun. Fantasy football playoffs are just around the corner, and it looks like Pete and I could be in the final. We're recording this during the Seahawks-Vikings game right now, which does pretty much determine how Stefan Diggs goes, how this uh, week's outcome is going to go for us. Yeah, I got a ways to go, but uh, yeah, I'm hoping for a 30 spot from Diggs. Throw a blanket over him, Seahawks. Let's go. That pretty much wraps up episode 16 of Canucks Speakeasy Podcast. Thanks again to Sean Warren for joining us. Give Sean a follow at SeanYeWest234. That's S-E-A-N-Y-E-234. Forgot the West. Forgot the West. (laughs) I I do like that handle, though. That's a good one. Uh, You can also follow us on Twitter at CanucksSpeak. That's for the podcast's profile. I am also at Pete underscore gas. And I'm at Doug Venn. That's V-E-N-N. And also give our Spotify playlist a follow. Uh, The track you're hearing right now is going to be added to the outro mix that we're building over time. So yeah, please give us a follow there. Lots of funky beats. It's a sauce schedule for the Canucks this week. We got Ottawa tomorrow for the Burroughs game. That's going to be a lot of fun. And then we got Sabres with an early one on Saturday. And then we'll be recording again Monday before the dreaded Leafs come to town. Yeah, it should be an interesting week. We've got the Burroughs game, like what we touched on earlier tomorrow. And then, like you said, Buffalo, then the dreaded Leafs. Right on. We will see you guys next week. That's a wrap. Hasta luego.